It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you are a first-timer, welcome. To all of you that are returning, welcome as well. And as you may know, we love to have fantastic guests on this show who are uniquely talented individuals who are managing talent or thinking about talent and can help us be better uh, employers, better managers, better leaders, just better employees maybe even. So uh, this really is what the show is all about, to try to have a great conversation here on this podcast, here on this live show. We're also doing it on YouTube and LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, if you'd like to catch us live there as well, uh, all those recordings can get us on video or uh, just listen to us via the podcast and hopefully gain something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Um, I've had so many wonderful stories over the years uh, from our fantastic guests. Uh, put a lot of them in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. I put even more in the remote workbook that we just did. Uh, still a very timely topic. And uh, as we're going to find out, our, our first guest is, is quite a traveler and used to, I'm sure, working remotely all the time. We are uh, oh, live sure. every Tuesday, every 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, most of the time, although next week we're actually going to be on a funny time. But you can always catch us. Most of you get us. and get ten or 12,000 downloads a day on the podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitchers, Spotify, wherever you listen. Thank you. Make sure you subscribe and we can uh, continue the conversation. Uh, we're also live tweeting the best uh, bits of information, links to books and, and profiles and anything that maybe you would have wished you had written down. So if you are following along on, on Twitter, at PeopleG2, or even on LinkedIn, we're doing it there as well, uh, you can make sure not to miss anything. All right, my guest today will be Jeremy uh, Kubitschek, author, author and executive chairman of Giant. Uh, and then... Then we'll bring in uh, Paul Hardgraves. He's an author uh, and uh, Cotswold uh, Fair CEO. We'll bring him into the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and bring in my first guest. Jeremy, welcome to the show today, sir. Good to be with you. Thank you. Excited to be here. So yeah, you mentioned you're, you're on the road. You're used to being on the road doing uh, lots of speaking and lots of work. Uh, what, what's important for us to know about you uh, besides being an entrepreneur, a corporate thought leader, an acclaimed speaker, an author of several books, I know including a bestseller, Making Your Leadership Come Alive, uh, you're, you're an executive chairman. There's so much to know about you, but what's important for our conversation today? On a personal level, uh, I'm a I'm a guy, right? I'm a guy who is as I decided years ago to be intentional and not accidental. I've got three 20 year old kids, and my wife were empty nesters, and I have the best relationship with my kids 
because of what we did when they were in the junior high and high school years. So I don't know. That's just something that's unique. Uh, I helped them start companies too. So they all run companies and I all, I helped them build and start businesses uh, as a part of who we are. I love that idea about being intentional. And a lot of people try to be intentional with their teenagers. It doesn't always work out. So it'll be interesting to, to hear some of your advice there. But you know, not being accidental. Um, you know, it's, I think so often people are uh, afraid that they won't achieve anything, that they don't give themselves the opportunity just to see what might happen if they try. You know, uh, they're so worried that the ending won't be what they wanted or what they thought it was. I can't tell you how many times I ask people, like, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? And they, the wish they give, you're like, you don't need magic for that. You could just go and do it. It's going to take hard work, but, you know, you got to do it. So, you know, uh, maybe what, what were the sort of first steps for you early on in your career? And you started off as in sort of a coaching career. And you know, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I was living in Russia. I actually started a few companies in Russia in the early 90s. And it was wow. a crazy time. And while I was there, I was around all these expats. And these expats had... Uh, crazy life. They moved there for money and they, they just had a lot of issues. So I had a, a lot of American CEOs and they started to actually, they heard about me and I started informally coaching, meeting with them, bounty board. And I started to listen and, you know, just the power of listening. And then I started to offer perspective. And then I started to try to figure out metaphor to help them solve a problem. And so, Building that relationship actually was my first book, Making Your Leadership Come Alive, is is the idea of where does influence happen. And I realized it's a combination of character and chemistry and competency and credibility. And uh, the credibility started happening with word of mouth, but then they trusted me because of character. So it was this com- I was constantly going back and forth of character and competency and trying to figure out how to serve them. Um, and that's how I started my coaching career, if you will, in 1993, and I've been uh, building and, and serving, uh, helping people coach uh, ever since then. Well, you're really in a unique environment. I've been to Russia many times, and I know, you know, it's, it's not an easy place uh, to do business. Um, mm-hmm. The rules are a little different <laughs> than they are here. Um, mm-hmm. some, some, I think some ways better, some ways worse, um, yeah. it's, but it's just different, right? And different. Yeah, and so uh, it's really interesting to hear that you kind of started that off by just listening. And and that's not necessarily something I think most leaders or type A's or people who are high achievers think about doing. It's like, well, you started to complain about something. Let me tell you the five ways you can fix it. Let me just fix it for you or tell you what to do. And that doesn't really help that person in the long run. And, and, and to your point of listening, you learn so much, right, as you're going along. You, you pick up so much that you can then turn, translate into other conversations with other people. So how did you sort of take that and turn that into really being able to unlock potential in people? Yeah, so uh, it went on um, over, the, over time. I intuitively started to learn personality without even really knowing. You know, and then you learn Myers-Briggs and DISC and some of the basics. And, uh, but then I realized that it's not, those aren't scalable. Uh, they're good, but they don't scale inside the organization. So what I started doing is started playing with the idea of a combination of emotional intelligence meets personality meets IQ. So how do you actually work in all of those with a person? And so we actually formed, uh, created a book called The Five Voices, 
the five voices is all uh, uh, taking union typology and making it simple enough for a 13 year old to get it. So what happened is it's been basically a journey on adult learning. And uh, we, I ended up buying uh, John Maxwell's assets and held those for a number of years, started the Catalyst Conferences, the LeaderCast. I had all these partnerships with thought leaders. And when it all boiled down, I realized that in 21st century learning terms, that most adults are cynical know-it-alls and they don't read anymore and they have attention issues. And when you, when it came down to our phones being the primary driver of visual learning, then I realized micro learning had to change. So I took listening, which is fundamental, and started playing with these visual tools. Because visual tools are like neuro-linguistics. You start learning and tattooing ideas on your brain. And when you get a small little nugget of truth and it works for you and you pass it on to someone else and you teach it to someone, that's when you learn. So I've just been on this journey of micro-learning. I've been on this journey of 21st century psychology mixed with the fundamentals that always work of listening and providing wisdom, right? So I've basically been working on building a toolkit and a, and a complete platform and an operating system that works in the 21st century. Well, I mean, you said a lot there, but the, uh, I did. <laughs> the, the, the know-it-alls that don't read, man, that is a, that is a big one. I, I can't, I've run big book clubs for, for years and I can't tell you how many people, oh, I'd love to be in a book club, but you know, there's still a pretty small group of us that consistently meet <laughs> and come, you know? A lot of people who say they want to read the book, but do they really? And and I've read a lot of books that I loved and a lot of books that I thought, you know, eh, I don't, I could have skipped that one. But in every one, I learned something, something about myself, yep. something about the world, something about other personalities. Um, and it's just that it's almost like exercise, right? I mean, one one workout routine isn't going to change your life, but the, you you stack those together, right? You stack those learnings together. Uh, as a as a leader, and it, it makes a big difference, right? Yeah, but the problem is it's a it's a little bit of a racket in the publishing world because I know it fairly well that there's there's really uh, chapters two, three, or four are the hook of the book, and everything else is filler. So you, not in all books, and I would say in my books, I'm biased that they're they're dense all the way through. But in a lot of cases, that's the 20th century learning style. Butts and seats, read a book. Well, the 21st century, there's so much content that you actually have to learn how to apply the right tool. And so we just figured out that a visual tool can actually communicate an entire book in one visual. And once you get it and practice it, then you can apply it long term. Yeah, and that's it's so important to be able to take you know that information and, and make it actionable, make it uh, stick. Uh, and, and how do you keep that going? I mean, um, I've, I've done trainings with people where I've said, the only homework you have is to go back and just read your notes <laughs> from today just so you can try to remember some part of what you learned today, you know? Because we forget Absolutely. so much. We, we, yeah. we consume a lot, but we forget even more. So mm -hmm. I know you have this, uh, this term, 100x leader. What is that? Yeah, 100x means 100% uh, healthy and learning to multiply. X means multiplication. Most leaders that we run into and have worked with and seen, they're 75 plus at best. They're generally okay, generally healthy. And when I mean healthy, I mean emotionally, mentally, physically, the whole package. 
And then they add value to people, but I call them positively reactive, not positively proactive. Mm -hmm. And the idea is actually, it came from um, interviewing Sherpa on Mount Everest. And I spent time talking to the Sherpa and I realized like the Sherpa have to be the healthiest person, people on the mountain. You don't want to go up the mountain with an unhealthy Sherpa. (laughs) And, but the entire time I talked to climbers and I've never climbed Mount Everest, but they would tell me like they were so good at training us and teaching us their tricks and their tips and their, here's how you do this. And you want to make sure it's this. And so they were proactive. They're positively proactive. So most, most leaders are like, Hey, yeah, Chris, good to see you. If you need anything, my door is always open. (laughs) Meaning you come to me if you need anything. But the best leaders in the world are actually Sherpa. They know where to, they want you to go. I want you to go here. So I'm going to fight for your highest possible good. And you trust me and you know I'm for you and you know I'm doing it for myself. I'm climbing. I want to help you climb. I'm performing. I want to help you perform. And that's the idea of 100X. It's like, it's actually a, um, a idea of bringing high support and high challenge and putting those together so that you become a leader that people want to follow, not have to follow. Because when you have to follow someone, you turn into compliance. But engagement only happens when you believe in the person that you're following. Yeah. And if you can be, you know, a fantastic leader, which I think a lot of people want to be, but you know, it's not something you, I would say one of the hardest things is that we learn how to be a leader from our parents uh, in some ways. And our parents aren't necessarily great leaders. uh, And if, even if they are somewhat effective, it's a lot of command and control, which you know makes sense when you're four. Don't don't jump in the fire; you're going to get burned. You know what I mean? Um, right. But it's not adult leadership; it's it's, it's leadership for kids. Yeah. And then we have sports coaches, and again, that's sort of the same thing. Do what I say, or go run laps, or do push-ups. Um, we have teachers that are leaders with us, but again, we're most of that context for children, and so it's a different atmosphere and yet we yeah. take those lessons and we turn them into well i'm going to teach you treat you just like my sixth grade teacher did um as a, as a boss because uh, it's all i know it's all i know how to do um and to your point there's a thousand books out there but how do i read the right one or do the right thing and turn that into something i do and that, no that's it that's the premise of the 100x leader book it's basically how do you become a 100 how do you become healthy and then how do you learn how to multiply and then how do you actually create a culture uh, atmosphere for your team to do that same thing because the pressure I find is it's true everything you just said is true add to that uh, the making of the donuts everyone has to make the donuts every day you know what I mean donuts I mean it's like the everyday work busy work and so people are so busy in making the donuts and doing their to-do list and working and serving the client it goes back to accidental it's accidental leadership it's accidental work but when you flip the switch to become intentional you proactively go, well, where do I want Chris to go? Well, Chris is here. And then you, they begin, you begin to call people up into who they are, their identity, who, the, who they are and their superpowers. And you start training them. Like, yes, more of that. We need exactly. And you start giving them expectation and clarity of their role. And all of a sudden, you become a person that people want to follow. Now I have to follow. But it, it's, a, it's a journey. It's a process. And it's like a Sherpa mindset. You have to have this mindset that it's not just climbing. It's actually helping people climb. And that's why so many leaders are, are really poor. They don't want to be, but they didn't have the examples, like you said. 
and they don't necessarily have the expectation of other people to know how to train them to do that because you have like it's one thing to climb a mountain it's another thing to take five people up the mountain climbing and helping them climb when they're whiny and their zipper's stuck in their coat or whatever the issue is, right? So it's like that is leadership. Leadership is you have to perform and help others perform. And most people are great performers, then they get put into that leadership position, and they're horrible. Yeah, and, and they spend all their time learning how to be a great salesperson or a great customer service person or a great, you know, technical person, whatever it may be. And then, yeah, now go manage these 50 people. <laughs> Send you to one two-day seminar so you can learn how to be a Yeah, that's it. Right, right. You know, or read the book. Or read the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, how, how do leaders then translate that into you know, creating invincible teams, uh, coaching those types of uh, invincible teams that you talk about? What does that look like? So it starts with you. If you're a leader and you're leading people, it starts with your mindset to go, okay, I'm responsible for myself and I'm responsible for these five people. Where do I want them to go? And then you start breaking it down. I need Susan to really do X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, let's ask the question. Does Susan know that you're for her, or does she believe that you're against her or for yourself? Is there positive intent? So building trust, right? So then they trust you. But if that's the case, yeah, Susan trusts me. Good. What do I need her to do? Well, I need her to do A, B, and C. Does she know your expectations? Have you clarified your expectations? Does she know how she wins? Does she know how, do you know how she wins? Are you communicating that, right? So those dynamics are like really fundamentals. What do I want? Uh, when do I want that to happen? Does she know that I want that to happen? What does she need for me? What support does she need? And then what challenge can I have? What accountability are we going to have? But we're going to agree on that together. And it's just this over and over and over again where you're clearly defining um, objectives. And we, we tend to do them at, at Giant. We do them like one week at a time. Hey, here's what we want to get done this week. And so it, it's very fast. And you know, um, you know, you know if you're off or not. Not We're going to review it next quarter. Right. And, and I love that kind of mindset. I, I think... Uh, I, I've been a remote work uh, advocate for a long time, and that is part of what I I think is the important part of the good part of remote work is that you have to be so diligently clear, and you have to be you know be able to tell someone this is what I really need from you because you're not going to be standing there watching people in the cubicle farm to see if they're doing it or not, right? And you're not just going to walk by their desk and then have a moment to say, oh well, you're doing it the way I thought you should do it. No, you have to be so clear. And then let them go off and go do it and then come back to you. And then you can make adjustments or we can change strategy. We can pivot. But you can't just be sloppy and messy like we used to be able to. Well, and, most, and the problem is most of us have come from two different camps. You said the football coach. Well, the football coach or that, that parent who's high challenge, no support. So it's like, come on, Chris, get your act together. Do you know how many people want your job? You know, and that right. is uh, fear. And that's, that's lighting a fire under someone. And I always tell people, you know, when you light a fire under someone, guess who gets worn out? Everybody. You get worn out. They get worn out. And But they just move to another chair. They don't necessarily go in the direction that you want them to go. On the other end, if you bring all support and kumbaya and never bring appropriate challenge, then there's a lot of hinting. Hey, Chris, yeah. big week next week. <laughs> Are you ready? 
Yeah. Are you good? Right. And, and like, then that's like, like, yes, but to what? <laughs> yeah. And so there's these expectations that are out there, but nobody shared them. And that's where this, this we call it it's liberation. Liberating people is empowering them. It's like, hey, I'm fighting for your highest possible good. So, Chris, here's what here's what we need. We want to do this. What do you need helping to do that? And I think we can get it done by this time. Do you agree? Awesome. Let's do it. Right. So now we've agreed to expectation. Simple, An expectation. Simple, but yet not always present, not always easy. I think people don't think about it. So, you know, uh, Jeremy, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure before we go, I ask you the most important question. And that yes. is, how can people find out more about you? How can they uh, learn more about you? What, what sites or places should they go to? Obviously, I'm sure yeah. they can go to Amazon and find you in your books. But what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you go to giantcoach.com slash talent talk, we actually have a whole uh, landing page set up for your listeners. Awesome. And and when they go go there, if they want to learn their personality, they go to the five uh, five voices and take their five voices assessment. If they want to uh, look at certification and how to do it, we've made it so low cost for people to do certifications. So um, those are that's a giantcoach.com slash talent talk. We'll make sure to get that link out to our listeners and all the different social platforms. Angela on my side will take care of that. But I really enjoyed talking to you today, and hopefully we can have you come back at some point, and we'll keep the conversation going. And, and there's a lot more to learn uh, from you and everything that you're, you're doing. But you know, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you. All right, we're right back with my second guest, Paul Hargrave. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, you can listen to Jeremy's interview on our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you find it. You can listen, but you can also watch it because we have a live broadcast that went out onto YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So if you want to watch us, you want to listen to us, we are there. Make sure you subscribe, comment, let us know what you're thinking, and we can keep the conversation going. My next guest is Paul Hargraves, the CEO and founder of Cotswold. Is it fair? Am I saying that right? It's fair. Yeah, Cotswold fair. Yeah. Fair. All right. Close enough. Uh, speaker. Uh, and a uh, B Corp ambassador in his book, The Fourth Bottom Line, he talks about the rise of compassionate, loving leaders and how they can help nurture and engage talent. Don't forget, we are live tweeting right now, so follow at PeopleG2 or that hashtag Talent Talk. We will put out all the best links, uh, profiles, all that information will be there. But, Paul, welcome to the show today. How are you? 
Good to be here, Chris. It's um, very dark here, and uh, about eight hours later than you. So yeah, yeah. Probably the latest, the latest interview I've ever done. Actually, it's been a the latest. Time. All right. Well, for everyone uh, may not know, where is where is here? Where are you calling in from? I'm in the UK. Okay. So in the UK, which is great, we've had lots of people across the pond uh, be on the show, but we appreciate you staying up late for us. Hopefully, we're not keeping you from your your nightcap. But uh, <laughs> well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? What's important for us to know in our uh, conversation here today? So just brief outline of the business. We're a, a wholesale food and drink company um, supplying specialty food to about 2,000 retailers in the UK. Uh, that's the main business. And then this year we also started our own food hall and restaurant. Um, basically became one of our own customers, if you like. So uh, that's a, an outline of what we do. We've got about 110 staff and we've been going for 20 years wow wow so i you know it's a uh i always like the uk food business is is so uh unique and specific whereas the united states you kind of have this very regionalness and it's very it can be very different but like i understand when i go to england it's like i can go to a market spencer i can go to these certain places and you feel like you know exactly what you're going to get which much like japan in that way too you have certain outlets and things like that so it sounds like you're kind of in that world um, so yeah, and we we primarily do British products, but we do bring stuff in from Japan and the USA, actually. Yeah, yeah. So how does that translate into, you have 110 people, you've been in business for 20 years, how does it sort of translate into you, you know, I guess figuring out some of these these, these business lessons, you know, maybe uh, maybe we could start with where do, where do you think business leadership has gone wrong over the years? I'm sure you've seen a lot of different things. Uh, certainly with the book, you may have some good ideas on what to do. But where have you kind of seen us go wrong, uh, you know, during that time? Well, I think, well, over the years, over probably the past 250 years at least, business has really, in my, you know, what I've read in history and what I've seen in, in my lifetime, business has been more about taking stuff from people and, uh, and from the planet. Um, and it's been about extraction. It's about being squeezing as much as possible as we can get out of the people we've got working for us, our suppliers, and probably more recently, you know, extracting stuff from the earth. And it's it, it's been damaging, really, to put it bluntly. Um, and, it, and that's the, the mess we're in now. We've got a world that's more unequal than ever before, and we've got a planet that's well known to be degrading at a ever rapidly increasing rate. So we're in a mess. Um, it's probably not all businesses' fault, but a lot of it can be at the door of businesses' blame, I'm afraid. It always seems like, you know, the, the problem is just far enough away. Whether you're talking about the environment or you're talking about how we treat our employees or we're talking about sustainable business practices, the problem is just far enough away that, you know, if we just keep being not quite good, it's not really going to impact us in this generation. Maybe I as the boss or I as the consumer or whatever, maybe it won't quite impact me, right? And so, we're, we're insulated, aren't we? And, and certainly yeah. in Western cities, our rubbish gets taken away and dumped somewhere yeah. else. We don't see the damage that the, the carbon's doing to some, you know, low-lying other parts of the world. And, and it's like we've, we've lost that connectivity with other people mm -hmm. and with nature and i've been lucky enough to travel to 
Asia and Africa quite a bit. And, and there, people are much more in contact with each other, with their community and with, with the planet itself. And I think we've, we've, we've lost a lot by disconnecting ourselves from, from each other and from our, our planet that we live on. So how, how is your leadership, how has your company kind of tried to behave differently than, you know, over, over its tenure? Well, I'm not saying we're perfect, of course, but we try and, and there's a phrase now, isn't there, that called giving something back. Um, well, my view on that is don't take it in the first place. <laughs> so um, we, we try and be generous. Um, we're generous to our, to our people. Uh, and we, we're doing what we can to, to be generous to the planet as well. So in a way, being the opposite of, of what business has done in the past. And as I said, we've got a hell of a long way to go. But if we can, every day when we leave work, if we can leave um, the people of the world and, and the planet in a slightly better place than it was when we rocked up to work in the morning, then A, obviously that's a good thing to do. But actually... There's a lot more fulfillment and satisfaction there, both for me and the people that, that work for us. And I think increasingly, certainly during COVID, I think a lot's changed. And people don't just want to go to work to pay the mortgage or rent. Of course, they, they need to do that, obviously. But if they can go to work and actually make a positive difference to the world, um, more and more people actually want to do that. Um, so that's where, you know, we're managing to recruit some great people at the moment because that's what we stand for and people would choose to work for us and a company that maybe isn't doing quite as much for the earth as we are. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, uh, I, I liked your, your thought about not uh, not taking to begin with, you know, I, I guess on an interview a while back with Bill Gates and he talked to, you know, they were sort of asking him about, you know, look, your, your carbon footprint is ridiculous, you know, and you're out here advocating for uh, for environmental practices, and he said, "Yeah, well, I spend seven million dollars basically giving back, like re basically reducing what I already took." So, right, and like, yeah, that's fine, but like, the average person can't do that, right? We can't go spend seven million dollars to reduce carbon in one area to make up for the fact that we've taken this many flights all year. Um, yeah, so it has to be that kind of balance, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know. So maybe what are some of the, the best ways that you have found to really help maximize the talent uh, inside of your business? Well, I think another a big one is, is trusting people. If you've got the right people working for you, you can trust them, you can give them loads of responsibility, and most, well, certainly the good people love that anyway. I see quite often in other businesses, maybe some of our suppliers who should remain nameless, but... They're, the leaders of those businesses are trying to hold on too much and maintain control. I think that's probably another thing that, that COVID taught some people. Everyone ended up working at home. And it, it forced people, in a way, to, to trust the people that work for them. And, and sure enough, they realized they were trustworthy. They actually did more work sitting at home than they did when they came to the office. So it's something we've always done, I think, um, I think more people probably do trust their employees these days. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you've got the right people, more and more responsibility and let them make decisions. And you have, they will fail from time to time. They will make mistakes. But 
let them make mistakes. Um, well, and that, that, that sort of that, that thought process, right? Like, I, I think a lot of people didn't trust their employees, but they were like, we don't have a choice. So we send them home and then they went, oh, this worked and they did a great job. And I, you know, maybe I'm sure there were some exceptions. I'm sure there was no, nothing was 100 percent. But in the, for the most part, people did a really great job and they were working more because they were yeah. either bored or not sitting in traffic or on a uh, in the tube or or wherever they weren't having to go around public transportation. Um, and so we saw a betterment of it. And I think that's a really interesting business model because we've thought about what if we had to do this thing, right? What if we had to pivot? We had to do, what would we do then, right? Because then you don't have to worry about, well, what are the pros and cons? It's if you have to do it, if we have to double in business, if we have to change what we're going to do tomorrow, you know, if the government decides what we're selling is not legal anymore, what would we do instead, yeah. right? Then what do you do? And that's a different way of thinking for people. I think that, that maybe only a few strategic leaders ever really think about. Yeah, we've had the technology to do video meetings for decades, more than a decade anyway. Yeah, it's not really happened because people wanted the control of having having their people in the office. So it's, a, it's forced us to do the right thing, you're right. Yeah, I will say if it was five to ten years ago, I'm not sure that the, the Zoom thing would have, hap would have gone as well as it did. It might have been a lot of phone calls because I remember the the video quality was really bad. I mean, it was uh, we were quite lucky that the bandwidths really have gotten improved. Well, you, know. you say you, you say that, but um, try being in the house with um, a wife working from home, two daughters yeah. back from university, all all four of us trying to be online at the same time. That didn't yeah. work terribly well. <laughs> so I'll tell you, we actually had to deal with that with a lot of our staff and the people I consult with, and we had to send. Uh, Wi-Fi hotspots, you know, to people. We had to um, give them flexibility on when they did their work so that they weren't on the same time as their spouse and their kids, right? They could change that around. And there was something we had to juggle a little bit. That, that was for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, my wife was um, at an important meeting to a supermarket in the UK, and I managed to ruin a meeting by um, having my own meeting. It wasn't very popular. <laughs> Well, I, I'm curious how you would describe your your company culture, and maybe give some some context. You know, maybe pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. What does that look like? Do you have 110 people out in the field? Are they all in an office? What does that look like? And how would you describe that culture? Um, in the wholesale business, a lot of them are in the office, um, and then obviously the retail and, and hospitality side, they they have to be at work. The sales team are have always been remote. I, there's a guy actually started um, with us soon uh, after COVID, um, and this this I think sums that up for me. It really pleased me when he said this one day. He said after about six months of working for us, being on quite a few meetings with me and with other um, other members of the team, and he said, "Paul, I've just realised I haven't been in a meeting at any point during my six months at Cotswold Fair." when there hasn't been laughter. And I thought, yes. <laughs> it, look, if you can't have fun while you're at work, then let's not get out of bed in the morning. It, yes, we work hard, as we do, everyone does, but we try and make work fun and not a chore that you have to get through or not something, oh, I look forward to my next holiday, then I can actually enjoy myself. Let's enjoy ourselves now. 
nine to five or nine to six, whatever you work. And um, obviously, people are going to be happier, more satisfied. They'll probably work harder and the company will probably be more successful. So have fun and get it done is one of our values. And um, it's definitely the one that we probably stick the most. Yeah, and I think that's really important to for leaders and for companies to decide what it is that they think is important for the meetings, right? And meetings to me are the they are the microscope or the glimpse into the soul of the company. And it isn't you might say, well, laughter isn't what we would value in, in this company, but it would be in that company. That's fine. I don't I don't care what the value is. And for my company, um, respecting people's time and keeping meetings to be as efficient and time focused as possible is the most important thing to them right we like mm. to laugh we like to have a good time but they they want to come in and come out because they have so much to do and they have so many competing things going on that if a meeting can be eight minutes long instead of an yeah. hour or 30 minutes like that inside of my organization that's the most important thing to them because they don't want to waste time and they'd rather spend that time with their family or, or doing something else right so it's defining what's important for your people and then finding ways to expand upon that and make that true for you guys it sounds like having laughter in your in your meetings is super important and 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 probably better than anything else you could do from a giving out bonuses or wellness or you know a gift cards for what i mean you probably that's more we do all that as well of course right. but um yeah <laughs> but also for the customers if you're having meetings as you have to do with various suppliers if you if they can have more you know, enjoyment in the meeting with you. Where are they going to prefer to have the next meeting? It's, right. it's with you rather than your maybe slightly boring competitor, isn't it? Right, right. <laughs> it is important, and having that personality come out, and you know, I think people like to work with people they like. You know, yeah. this is it's sales one hundred and one, right? This is customer service one hundred and one. I mean, yeah. we we've lost a lot of aspects of community. I think in our uh, Western world, but I think you know relationship, business, and relationships. That's you know that's what it's all about, isn't it? Business is yeah. equals relationships and vice versa. So that is an aspect of community that's really really important for for yeah. success of business. We used to be very very focused on hey, you know, we wanted to get on the phone with people, we wanted to talk to them, and really have that connection because we thought we were really being you know the ultimate in customer service. And what we realized was though generationally that was changing and we had a lot of people that did not want to be on the phone right mm. and what they wanted was high focus the same kind of relationship but on on a on a ticket right or in a chat they wanted it in a written form much like they would on their phones and texts and so even though that wasn't really how we wanted to proceed we made the switch for people yeah. we, we provide both but all of a sudden, customer satisfaction stores started going through the roof just because we gave them what they wanted, right? Not what we wanted uh, as, a, as a medium uh, to have that communication and have that mm. you know, interaction with them. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what are, what are you doing now? I mean, this is, I don't, I don't know how reflective this is in the UK, but certainly in the US, we are, you know, talent shortage. We're having the great resignation right now where, you know, everyone is, is, is looking for talent everyone is hiring they're they're checking you know i think we're about to excavate some people from graves and, and stand them up to, at the <laughs> register to fill some positions yeah. what, what, what is it like on your end i mean how are you finding the best talent for your company well we haven't actually had a problem 
attracting it, and I'll tell you why. Um, we, we used to be, we've always done stuff, you know, good stuff for the world community, things done a lot for our people. We didn't really talk about it that much for many years. Um, and we've got a project in, in Kenya, in, in Africa, and um, a number of us go out there every year where possible, obviously haven't been the last two years, but... But we haven't really shouted about that. But of the last three, four years, we have started talking about it more. And, I, I, and the reason was customers and suppliers were saying to us, you need to talk about this stuff. It's important. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to talk about it because you don't want to be seen to be doing good things just for a PR stunt. That wasn't why we were doing it anyway. So we have talked about it more. Uh, we produce an impact report every year, which basically tells the world what we're doing, um, both from the business side, but also the community, planet, people stuff. And I think putting ourselves out there as um, as well as increasingly people, as I said before, people wanting to work for something, some organisation that's making a difference in the world, has actually massively helped us um, attract good people to us in this last year. I mean, we've got a, a restaurant um, chefs um, are really difficult to recruit at the moment in the UK. We have um, currently a full house of chefs. Um, no one else has because we're we're basically a better company to work for. Plus the fact we we don't open in the evenings that makes it easier for people with families and stuff. But um, right. yeah, I, I do think there's been a big shift, and and people say it's. You know, it's, it's Gen Y, Gen Z, are, are the people wanting to work for companies like that. Yes, it is, but it's also some older people as well. They want to make a difference. I think more than ever uh, in the last few years. So I'm not saying it's always going to be easy, but I think we're putting ourselves in a, a better place to get good people on board. Well, uh, I really enjoyed learning more about uh, Cotswold Fair and uh, Fair, excuse me. And um, you know, I think ha- having you on the show has been really enlightening to really talk about how do we really focus on our people, how do we develop our culture, how do we, you know, really develop what's important. And a lot of that comes. It sounds like it comes from you. It comes from what you think is important, but really helping drive that inside the organization. And hopefully, the listeners can can take some of that home with them and 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 deliver it to their people, to their companies. Um, you know, if they're in the UK, I am I, assuming that that would be the best place or the best set of people to find out more. If someone's interested in knowing more about you or possibly about a career with your company, what, where should they go in and look for you and, your, and, and to do that? Um, well, the, my best place to contact me is my website, paulhardroofs.co.uk, and drop me an email there. The for books, Forces for Good, and Fourth Bottom Line, you'll find details there. Let's buy them as well. But um, yeah, I'll put you in contact with uh, the right recruitment person if you're looking for a job, for sure. Well, fantastic. Thanks again so much for being a, a part of the show and, and for staying up so late. We appreciate you making us your latest interview ever. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Don't worry about that. All right. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully, you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 